Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and we have a good one for you today. He's a comedy writer and producer who also hosts his own podcast, Black on the Air, for the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right, Larry Wilmore is here. There's probably no comedian I've interviewed more times over the past five years or so than Larry, and he never disappoints. Now that both of us are stuck podcasting at home, I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to connect with him and talk about everything that's happening in the world of comedy and politics right now. After years spent writing for shows like In Living Color, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and The Office, among many others, Larry spent nearly a decade as the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show before eventually moving on to host The Nightly Show on Comedy Central. Before we get to today's interview, I thought it would be fun to listen back to a clip from one of the final episodes of The Nightly Show. This bit aired in August of 2016 and really brings home how little has changed about Donald Trump in the last four years. But someone who doesn't seem to mind the taste of bull in their mouth is the... (laughs) is the bovine dung connoisseur himself. President Obama, he is the founder of ISIS. He's the founder of ISIS, okay? He's the founder. He founded ISIS. And I would say the co-founder would be crooked Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Please make up your own joke there. But Trump soon followed that bat crazy statement by doing something very presidential, sending a bat crazy tweet, all right? Ratings challenge that CNN reports so seriously that I call President Obama and Clinton the founder of ISIS and MVP. They don't get sarcasm? (laughs) Well, that's not sarcasm. Sarcasm is when you tell your friend with the ugly shirt, hey, nice shirt. Not sure why you would do that to your friend who's just trying to get back in the dating scene after his divorce, but regardless, sarcasm is a pretty lame excuse. But at least Trump kind of admitted he was wrong, right? Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. Then, then, but not that sarcastic, to be honest with you. (laughs) To be honest, you're never honest with us. The end of your sentence stated the complete opposite of the beginning of your sentence. Do you have any idea how confused the middle of your sentence is? Yep, and Trump was being sarcastic when he said injecting disinfectant could cure the coronavirus. All right, let's go to my conversation with Larry Wilmore. So yeah, how are you you holding up? Pretty good, I guess. I mean, in the beginning... So much of it was kind of unknown and scary, not mm. knowing what was going on. I mean, 
I think a lot of people felt like, okay, this lockdown, what is this going to be like a week and a half? Yeah, exactly. Like it was kind of surreal at first. So the days were going by that felt like it had an expiration date at first. And then it became, no, there's really no (laughs) set time. So it became very surreal. You know, the first week was very surreal. Yeah. You know, um, I remember people this, saying, yeah. saying like, uh, you know, this might last until like, you know, end of May or into June. And now there's articles coming out like you may want to, you know, may not have live events until, you know, end of 2021. And it's like it's, crazy. It's out of control. Well, it can't it can't be to the end of. 2021. Yeah, I know. crazy talk. You I know? think the, the, the goalposts keep getting pushed back somehow. Yeah, because there are different goalposts. You know? Yeah, there are. Look, and all of it. Here's here's the thing. There are so many people out there that hate the both sides type of arguments, but we Mm -hmm. are in a classic both sides situation right now. Yeah. You know, where there is complete legitimacy, absolutely, to people who want to reopen the economy. I mean, I think everybody wants to, you know, but the speed at which we Mm -hmm. do it and there's so many uh, small businesses that are hurting. I have many friends who have those and not just small businesses, but people who, you know, who... um, Every every day not working is a big blow, let alone yeah. every week, let alone a month, let alone months. You know, it's, yeah, it's brutal. devastating. And the concern about the health of society and people dying. I mean, it's devastating to see how fast it takes some people out with certain conditions. You know, mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. It, we, as we know, it affects people differently. Yeah. But the way that it can take someone out so fast and... You know, it, it's, at first we thought maybe it was just elderly people or whatever, mm-hmm. but now we know that there are different conditions when it gets real aggressive that's really, that's just sad, man. It's yeah. really scary, you know. Do you, do you know anyone who's been affected so far? Or? Not who's been affected by the virus, but um, my sister and my niece are both nurses, so they're mm-hmm. on like a yeah. front line. So I've heard from them how bad it is. Yeah. You know? So that kind of hits you right in the face when you see it like that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. My wife's a doctor and works in the hospital as well. So it's been yeah. intense to to see her going through that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think that knowing someone either who's who's in the medical world or or who has yeah. actually had the virus and and dealing with it, I think changes your your perspective on it too. To, to see some of yeah. these pro- protesters out there, you know, sort of flaunting the rules and and you have to think they don't know anyone who's who's been directly affected or else they might not be doing that yeah you know i think it's um (laughs) it's kind of just the like i said it's the kind of the right intention but the wrong approach yeah 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 Uh, like it's kind of how i've always talked about trump it's you know like i say the problem with trump is that Many times Trump is not wrong. He's mm-hmm. just so far from right, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like he's in that weird penumbra, you know, mm-hmm. where you're not sure if you're in light or shadow, you know, mm-hmm. when you know other things and and his approach is always just it's just so horrible. But the thing is there's a little bit of the truth in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that little bit I think some people hang onto but they run with it in ways that can be a little scary, but I completely understand where the emotion comes from because yeah. I share I share a lot of those emotions too. You know, yeah. Have you been uh, Have you been consuming a lot of news uh, over the last few weeks, or have, how have you been dealing Not with really. that? Really, you know, I usually consume more than I've been consuming. Really, I think yeah. it's too much. Some of it is too much because absolutely a lot of a lot of it is so just consumed with death toll. You know, you can mm-hmm. only take so much of that. You know, so 
I kind of switch around a lot and try to, I watch a little more local than I think I've watched, you know, just mm-hmm. to see what's going on locally, which I think we should do anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I like to watch uh, BBC news to kind of see how globally things are going. Mm-hmm. Right? And you just get, it's not as obsessed with, with the politics of it and that type of stuff. It's right. hard watching the C- CNNs and some of those others because so much of it still feels like political fights and it's just hard to watch it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think I, I started watching, I started off watching the, the press conferences every day and then I just had to yeah, stop because it's, yeah, it's, your just, head spins, it's, yeah. it's, it's too brutal. Yeah, it is. Um, there has been a lot of debate over whether the uh, cable news network should be broadcasting Trump's daily press briefings. Do you have a, yeah. do you have any thoughts about that or, or opinions well, on, on that debate? It's in that penumbra that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, we, yes, we should be hearing what's going on, but we have the worst person doing it. Which yeah. Is a problem, you know? <laughs> I mean, he tells the same story every day, mm-hmm. you know, about the New York hospital and all that stuff and giving themselves a pat on the back, which is so annoying at this point, you know, but sometimes there's information in there that is important that we need, you know? Yeah. Um, I wish he had just handed it off to Pence and really gotten out of the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and not make himself such the story and just weigh in sometimes I think would be more helpful just to hear from that team directly. Because I really think right now we really need just calm, sober leadership, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether you agree or disagree with that person to me is the, is so irrelevant, but yeah, it would be so. And the times when Trump has been more measured, he's been most effective. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I think for the sake of the situation we're in, he should really try to do that as much as possible. I know it's it's impossible. It's like trying to tell your cat to stop playing with that ball of yarn. You know? <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. He he obviously doesn't see it that way. I think he he sees it as um, or seems to see it as if he keeps, you know, stoking these, you know, fears and and dividing people that that's what's going to help him in the election. Whereas yeah. I think you're right. If he if he could, if he had the discipline to to be a leader in this moment, it would actually help right. him. And he probably would. Yeah. We'd have a he better probably, chance he, of winning. He absolutely would have a better chance. You know, yeah. Americans are a particular breed. Americans like um, calm, solid leadership in crisis, and they tend to reward that, you know, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. regardless of party affiliation, you know, um, say what you want about Bush, you know, Bush wasn't hysterical after nine 11, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he stood in that rubble and said, you know, we're going to get you or whatever. And he was rewarded with the reelection as much as people were against the war or whatever. Most Americans said, why should we change right now? You know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think if Trump showed that type of leadership and stopped thinking about himself because he's operating on two fronts, he, he has the, self-aggrandizement thing that he always has that it would be so helpful if he dropped that but even if he had that it wouldn't be so bad if he got the politics out of it because Mm -hmm. this whole thing to me that that feels cynical to me right now is uh when he's putting the whole testing thing to the states and the way he's retweeting things like uh you know protests and that type of stuff he's Mm -hmm. obvious that those are obvious political moves that are so cynical that we just don't need that crap right now fine if you need the attention and say we did this we did that fine that i could almost take you know yeah if we're gonna take one of the two but the political stuff to me Mm -hmm. is like come on that's you know as espn would say come on man come (laughs) on man seriously come on man (laughs) um 
I mean, I think on the other side, Joe Biden is is trying to be that you know calm, steady leader and and project that. How are you? How are you feeling about? Nobody uh, cares about Joe Biden. <laughs> he's not on the radar screen. I don't yeah. even think he knows he's running right now at this point. <laughs> He's probably forgotten about nobody. No one's even thinking about the election unless voting is coming up or whatever. It is Mm -hmm. it is such an uh, that's the other thing that is the upside down world that we're in right now, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, who would who would have guessed any of these things would have happened? I mean, Biden, first of all, seemed just dead in the water. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, remember the Democratic Party was scrambling to go, oh, Wait, yeah. we're, what do we do? It's going to be Bernie. What are we yeah. going to do? We like Bernie, but we were just kind of kidding. We like yeah. him as friends. We really don't want to date him. You know, we just we just want to go to the movies with him. Yeah. But uh, and then for Biden to make that comeback and then people were <laughs> remember all those gaps he was making, you know, and, and uh, they were trying to reduce the, the number of times he would speak mm-hmm. in public. COVID yeah. kind of took care of that. Yeah. But it also kind of took him off the map in a weird way. And whether that's going to help him or not, I have no idea. People close to me who kind of think like I do, you know, we kind of we like to make up our mind about things rather than follow the herd type of thing. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all saying, I think Trump's going to win only yeah. because Biden feels invisible right now. Like, mm-hmm. well, and it's not just Biden, like the. The political movement that usually happens in an election year mm-hmm. is something that has momentum, right? Yeah. You know, we see speeches here and there. We see crowds who are cheering. And mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're pack animals by nature. You know, we're, yeah. we're herd animals. We like, that's what's killing us right now is not being able to be around people. But when we see people applauding, that affects us. When we see people mm-hmm. laughing, that affects us. The One of the things that, one of the reasons why I feel Bernie got so much attention in 2016 was because of remember all the crowds he was attracting, yeah, and that affects and, people. You go well, and young people, know? and yeah, yeah, because you're intrigued by that. You know, mm-hmm. um, when you see an audience laughing at a comedian, a whole audience, you go, well, they must be funny. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm the maybe I'm the yeah. asshole that doesn't get it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. so that's what Biden. He's missing the validation that crowds yeah. give you. I wonder that, if he would have gotten crowds anyway, though. Well, it's possible because yeah. of the uh, of the undercard, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you bring your yeah. Obamas, you bring yeah. your other people. Exactly. You know, so once we get close to the convention, he would. But you're right. And it depends on his running mate. You know, if, yeah. if he had like an Elizabeth Warren or, you know, or somebody who's mm-hmm. um, who has their own electrified base type of yeah. thing, you know, who could bring out those crowds, you know. But without that, I feel Biden has a bigger hurdle because he doesn't he doesn't get the benefit of that extra momentum that you get, you know? Yeah, and Trump absolutely. has the bully pulpit, you know? What are you yeah, do? He's, he's out there getting attention every day. I mean, going back to the, you know, the press conferences being on TV every day, he, he has that yeah. and, and Biden doesn't, the most he has is, you know, he does these interviews from his from his basement right. and it looks a little small and it looks... It's, it's crazy, yeah. like hostage videos, right? Yeah. And, the, uh, like, and what are the debates going to be like in the fall? Like, are they going to be like in the cone of silence? Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> Zoom debates. Yeah, so they, yeah, Zoom debates. I mean, that's crazy, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so weird. But I think all of those things, I think, hurt Biden, not help, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, well, I think he needs in the enthusiasm of crowds. I really do. Yeah. Well, you were out there last time in, in, in 2016. You were one of the only yeah. people predicting uh, Trump would win, and you were right. I did so. not like that, man. I did not yeah. like that prediction. <laughs> but but part of it, by the way, was the effect he had on crowds. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a base that was faithful, showing up for him. Um, people waiting hours to see him, all that kind of loyalty means something. Mm-hmm. It means that 
that kind of loyalty means people are going to show up to the polls, you know. But I remember after the um, when we got close to the election, I wasn't so sure if it was going to come true because I predicted it like a year earlier. Yeah. yeah. So so I still was surprised, but not not shocked. Like most Mm -hmm. of the people I know were shocked. I was not shocked. I yeah. was I was more surprised when it actually happened. Yeah. yeah. Is there uh you know you mentioned the the VP pick for Biden is there somebody who would who would get you excited in a way that you're no. not but with just Biden? No. no? Nobody? No. No. <laughs> I, for me, I just want Trump gone. Yeah. You know? it doesn't matter who <laughs> I'm it very, is. I'm a very simple creature. Yeah. Uh uh, this is one of the few times I'm voting against someone. I rarely do that. Mm-hmm. I like to vote. I call that um, cynical voting, actually. Mm-hmm. I, and I call that campaigns that run against somebody, I call cynical campaigns. And I think they're tougher campaigns mm-hmm. yeah. to win. I think John Kerry ran a cynical campaign in 2004. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like he ran for something. He was running against Bush. Um, they're very difficult. Um it's rare. You know, Reagan kind of ran one against Carter, but his he ran it in a very positive way, Morning in America, that kind of right. stuff, you know. Um, he was promising something specific because mm-hmm. that was the first time you had someone who had all those drastic ideas about taxes. And Carter mm-hmm. had the, the unfortunateness of the whole Iraq situation and, you know, so many bad things happened in a row. Yeah, Iran, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff kind of happened just mm-hmm. in a row with him, which was unfortunate. But it's rare. It's rare that that kind of thing happens, right? So yeah. we're in that kind of situation. The incumbent always has the advantage. Before this happened, Trump was a lock as far as I was concerned, mm-hmm. only based on the economy. Now yeah. that's not an issue. Yeah. But, but you know, this choice is a binary choice. It's It's not, I think some people are looking at it in terms of, well, I vote for Biden. Not the issue. It's binary. It's like, mm-hmm. which party do you want running the country? Yeah. Democrats or Republicans, you know? Well, what scares me are all the all the Bernie supporters who so far are kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'll vote, maybe I won't. And, you know, they're interviewing right. people saying that. And it's that that's a tough thing, though. I mean, I think that's what really hurt. Um, what One of the many things that, that hurt Hillary the last time around was, was mm-hmm. some of those people staying home and or voting mm-hmm. for third parties and just it's, if, if it's just a repeat of that it's that's not great yeah then, then you get what you want right yeah we get what we deserve <laughs> yes we always seem to get what we deserve unfortunately you yeah know. it's it, i'll say politically i don't mean it in the yeah. in terms of covid of course yeah yeah, yeah yeah um so let's talk about comedy a little bit to uh sure. to, to lighten things up i mean brighten one, it up one just thing just to start is um uh, you know, we're talking about all everyone having to do everything from home. Have you been yeah. watching any of the uh, the late night shows from home, which is kind of strange phenomenon? No, I haven't watched any of them. I use, mm-hmm. I normally don't watch them. Yeah. Sometimes I'll check in on them, but I rarely do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't had a chance to catch up. I think the only one I probably watch is is Mar because he has a discussion on it, so mm-hmm. you get to hear different people. And sometimes I'll. I'll catch up on a few John Olivers in a row just to see how John is, yeah. is covering some of his stuff. But that's about it. Um, so, yeah, it looks like they're all kind of working from home, I guess, you know. Yeah, and, and it's very bizarre. It's yeah. I mean, everyone's yeah. just doing it out of their having to figure out how to do it out of their homes. You know, Samantha has anyone stood in, out in the is, Samantha Bee's doing... in the woods and uh, oh, really? <laughs> around, I haven't seen that. Some people are on their couches. And um, uh-huh. yeah, I think she's been I think she's done a really good job of of keeping her show basically consistent mm-hmm. and the same like she hasn't really changed 
I think it's it's as strong as it was before. She's oh, wow. just doing it doing it from from the woods behind her house, which is just kind of funny. Um, yeah. And then, but yeah, it's, I think it's it's kind of loosened people up and giving people a, um, yeah. you know, because these shows can get kind of rote and and stuck. And I think that yeah, something to shake them up. I and mean, same thing with Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you caught any of that. Yeah, but, I um, saw that. Yeah. Their SNL at home. Um, not that it was all incredible or all that you know so hilarious, but just it felt like they were. It was exciting in a way that it, it's not always just because it was like, what is this going to be? You know. Yeah, and it's funny because the whole idea of Saturday Night Live is the live part, you mm-hmm. know, is the, yeah. that, and this was the kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, you know? I think they said it was the first no. time ever that the show wasn't live. Yeah, which is crazy. Well, see, and I'm from California because it was always yeah. taped. Well, you know, right. When I yeah. saw it, yeah, yeah, in some ways, but you know, but a, a taped of a live mm-hmm. broadcast. Yeah. But I tell you, the biggest thing for me was seeing Tom Hanks. I mean, yeah, Tom Hanks absolutely is a national treasure, man. And to see him doing better, I was like, whoo, yeah, we can't, we can't lose you, Tom. Yeah, we so, can't lose you. So I wrote about that for the Daily Beast and and was tweeting about it, and then I just my timeline was all um, people were responding to me all these Tom Hanks truthers. Who think that that wasn't really him? Oh, and that's that, crazy! And that People it was are serious about that. Yeah, I don't know if they're serious or not, but they're tweeting about it. Um, uh-huh. That it was they're like examining the picture to say that it was a fake uh, background and he's not really there, and um, and that that or that that wasn't really him. And so that was that was pretty wild. <laughs> I didn't expect that. That's hilarious. You know, it's funny because some segments probably work a little better. I thought. Like weekend update is fine. Yeah, Che, che and Joss have a pretty good mm-hmm. rapport with each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. So the at the end of that was very funny when he kind of tricked him with his mom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought it was funny how they they had a uh, Alec Baldwin call in instead of Beyond, probably because he didn't want to. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't do the yeah. makeup or the hair himself or something. Well, what uh, was good about that was because it looked like they were talking live to each other, so you had that live feel mm-hmm. between the both. Of yeah. Them. And they were kind of entertaining each other, so mm-hmm. so that kind of worked in that sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was um, fun, yeah. Yeah. Have you thought at all during this time about if you were still doing the nightly show, what you would, <laughs> uh, how you would, how you would do this, Too either much. from home or from Too many uh, things, yeah. Uh, or what you, yeah. or what you'd want to be talking about? Because there are a lot of you know issues. You know, you were well, you were so great on that show of of tackling things, you know, from um, a, the black perspective, and and there yeah. are a lot of issues with this crisis that are you know sure. affecting uh, African Americans more than than others absolutely um, we we probably early on would have been on the ground floor of how it's been affecting not just African Americans but you know many minority communities and the people who are being underserved and that mm-hmm. type of thing yeah and would have would we would have taken that angle like very early on I'm sure yeah yeah um you know and one aspect of our show which we still could have done is we always had the discussion and that would have been a lot of fun doing that on Zoom, you know, the mm-hmm. show version of that, you know, which probably could have expanded or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, um, and trying to bring voices in that we don't always get to hear from was one of the things that we liked in bringing the different voice that you can hear from uh, covering this. So it's not just the same conversation. It's probably some of the stuff we would have looked at comedy wise. It's tough because you're commenting on the same things as everybody else. And a lot mm-hmm. of the jokes are out there. So some of that might have been tougher to um put our teeth into as much as the discussion part of it i think we probably would have landed on and done our own you know comedy about this and that in the way that we did it it's hard to say because it now it feels like another lifetime ago you know yeah does it yeah it really does you know so 
I'm just guessing, you know, because mm-hmm. who knows shows shows who knows what we would have evolved to by, mm-hmm. by this point too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, you said you you like from the nightly show having people with different perspectives, different opinions. Do you like yeah. having those conversations where it's someone that Completely. you really do, that you really don't agree with at all? Absolutely. I had a uh, Ben Shapiro on my show last year. Yeah, and my fans were like. Ah! What? Yeah, you you got <laughs> like, some pushback on that, right? I know. I'm like, whatever, everybody, calm down. <laughs> and actually, Ben Shapiro, he's one of those people where, you know, early coming up, he was more of a fire thrower, but the same way that people on the left are fire throwers with mm-hmm. jokes and that type of thing, you know. But he's he's got more into a, more of a measured from his point of view type of approach. He does a, a podcast and a show and everything. Um, but I knew that a lot of people would disagree with Ben. You know, and I that that is the point to have him and to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he's not the he's not the person that people ascribe him to be. He really isn't. He mm-hmm. really isn't. He's really a nice guy. He I just happen to disagree with a lot of what he says. You know, but yeah. um, but I think not just with Ben, but I think um, because I listen to a lot of the others i'll call it the other side Mm -hmm. because you know i'm mainly associated with the left but i'm more in the middle to be honest with you Mm -hmm. so i I like to listen to the to the other side and see how people let me put it this way i like to see how people are framing issues yeah so i don't necessarily look at those things from a point of agreement or disagreement or they're wrong and i'm right i look for oh that's interesting how they're framing that issue i frame it differently you know i'm framing it like this or someone's framing it like that and i get to form my own opinions based on viewing how a lot of people are framing something, you know, and I get to create arguments out of my point of view. And I, I I get to really appreciate my point of view a lot more because I've seen different arguments. And like I said, I used to call myself a passionate centrist. And one of the reasons, man, I said, because half the Mm -hmm. time I disagree with myself, (laughs) (laughs) which is true. Many times I'll go down a road and I'll see an an argument. I go, Oh, you know, I never looked at that. Maybe was, was Ben, was Ben Shapiro or, anyone else that you've talked to or watched able to convince you of something um, that you were surprised that you, that you felt? No, they weren't because I'm, I'm already uh, versed in their argument already. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I haven't heard their argument. I right. think if I hadn't, then that may have been the case for me. It was more like I wanted other people to hear these arguments from the other mm-hmm. side. So I, I really didn't for the sake of my audience. So they're, um, we didn't, ha- and then we didn't go in deep enough to have that type of effect, maybe on each other. I was on his show, and he was on my show. Um, but you know, and I actually want to have more of those types of conversations on my podcast. You know, with people who um, I might disagree with and that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. or my audience might disagree with or whatever, or just you know, people that have a different perspective on things. It's just good to have, man. You know, just yeah, to get outside of your own bubble or your own opinion about something. You know, yeah. It's interesting that you said that you you're sort of associated with the left, but don't feel like you or, or don't feel like you are as much of that as as people think you are. Right. Correct. So how does that? I mean, is that frustrating, or that, how no, do you think that sort of I happened? Don't, I don't or? mind. No, I don't mind. If someone's going to pigeonhole me, I do not mind being pigeonholed mm-hmm. as far as being on the left. I'm just not. I'm not what you would call a leftist. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I I am more of a centrist, but I'm a centrist more by nature than by politics, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, you know. And I think it's part of my comedic point of view is like I'll put it. Let me frame it a different way. If if a lot of people are going in one direction, I have to go this other direction. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of contrary by nature. Mm-hmm. So it's very 
you know, it's the Groucho Marx line. You know, I don't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. just hard for me to have herd mentality, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I think that's pretty common among comedians. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of, I interviewed Michelle Wolf not too long ago, and I think she feels similarly where she's very much associated with the left and people think yes. that she's this sort of raging liberal in a way that she doesn't feel and yeah, often and not, purposely goes against it for comedic effect absolutely. In, her, in her comedy. Yes, I'm not a raging liberal. I'm not. <laughs> um, like when I rail against Trump, it's not from a leftist standpoint, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's really is from these other positions. Now, some of the, like in the Nightly Show, many of the positions we took for issues happen to be on the left. You know, some mm-hmm. of the underdog positions, just politically, yeah. they just happen to be on that side. But, you know, it doesn't, what's the best way to put it? Um, it doesn't mean that, like, I'm an activist for that, I guess you could say. I can yeah. be an advocate for it without being an actual activist, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You yeah. Know? And if if it's an underdog position, I'm always going to be try to be an advocate f- for that. You know, as long mm-hmm. as it's a position that you should be an advocate for. You know, yeah. So that's what I mean by many times my opinion doesn't matter so much as as the truth of the of the issue. You know, I'll mm-hmm. I'll tell you one of those issues that's very divisive where I'm completely um, centrist, some but I've advocated on the left mm-hmm. side of it, and that's abortion. Yeah. Um, I'm Catholic. You know, I uh, I understand the the uh, life. Uh, position. I understand mm-hmm. it from the moral point of view, from the religious point of view. But um, as a political argument, I have to be on the left, on the choice side. Mm-hmm. You know? I have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> because that is a, there's a more compelling argument politically for the, for the left side of the argument. Privately, mm-hmm. it's completely different. But that's kind of the whole point of choice, too. Coming up, Larry tells some incredible stories about missing out on Seinfeld landing on The Office, and how he became the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show. Plus, he shares some behind-the-scenes details about that time he dropped the N-word at Obama's last White House Correspondents' Dinner. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One of your earliest uh, gigs was uh, in Living Color, yeah. Which you both, you know, worked behind the scenes and a little bit in front of the camera, right? Any uh, any in Living Color stories that that possible? Oh, there's mind? way too many, so many, too many? In Living Color stories. Uh, I mean, what do you want to know about in Living Color? Um, well, so so that was you. You were. Uh, what well, what did you do? I was right on camera in in, in Living Color because you did appear on screen a little bit, right? Yeah, but only a couple of times. 
Yeah. I think it was a couple of times, but not was much. that Was I that was, fun or exciting, or you mostly liked being behind the scenes? Well, at that time, I was making a transition because I had... I was a stand-up comic up to that point, mm-hmm. and I was a bit frustrated with some things, and I thought, you know, let me get into writing and producing. And the goal at that time was to ultimately write my own show, you know, at some point, and just learn how to do it. So when I started writing on A Living Color, I put my performing kind of to the side, and I really wasn't trying to be on the show, you know, at that point, or trying to do things. Um, in fact, I remember at the time, I had an audition for to be on Seinfeld, uh, one of the casting directors I knew, I really? had known before. He used to call me in for things. Mark Hirschfeld was the name. He was great. He would call me in for things and that kind of stuff. And asked if I would come audition, and and I did. And they wanted to hire me for something, and I couldn't do it because I just started writing for. It was my second oh, week. I was I was writing on the show called Rick D's Late Night Show, and it was my mm-hmm. second week, and they needed me for the week. I'm like, fuck. You know, what, what was the what was the Seinfeld part? I can't remember, but then. Um, six months later, I was working mm-hmm. on a living color and Mark called me again and said, Larry, you don't even have to come audition. They just want to hire you for this part. It was this part of an ambulance driver or something mm-hmm. once again on Seinfeld. And I asked if I could get out to do it. I said, no, man, you can't. I was like, oh, I, I should have just called in sick. <laughs> yeah. You just done it. You they know? never would have known. Could have done I uncredited. Know. They actually yeah. never would have known. But, um, yeah, I should have just lied. Stupid me, yeah. you know, <laughs> trying to do it the right way. But. You know, it's funny because I was so concerned with where I was going and I wanted to, you know, I wasn't as concerned with performing during that moment that I just had to let it go mm-hmm. and keep yeah. my focus on writing. Mm-hmm. But there are many late nights in Living Color. I can remember 3 a.m. playing chess with Jamie Foxx was trying to write a sketch. And mm-hmm. I remember Jim Carrey at that one table read where he first was talking out of his butt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. You got to see that like, before oh. everybody. Oh, before everybody's like, oh, my God, what's going on here? You know, uh, I remember the audience reaction to the men on film. It was I've never seen an audience reaction mm-hmm. like that. It was crazy. They went crazy over Damien and David mm-hmm. Allen Greer. Um, and the mail we would get from people who just loved those sketches and everything. Yeah. Like you couldn't do those sketches today, I think. But people yeah. loved it back then. Um, lots of fond memories. It was really a tough show. People. I remember uh, people got fired all the time, and you never knew whether yeah. or not you were going to get fired. I always said it was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. I'm in a living color, you know. But uh, I've, you know, I've had some friends from that era that mm. are still still good friends of mine. So yeah. Well, another one uh, is a favorite of mine growing up, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Which oh yeah. What was what was that experience like working on now that, that show? Now that I worked on the last season, and it was tough because. Uh, Jeff Pollock was running the show and I think it was Will's manager or something like that. And he had not run a show and he was not mm-hmm. prepared for it. We had so many late nights and it was, there was kind of a mutiny and this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. There was a lot going on, but I remember Will was so cool. He was really, he is what he appears, you know, a nice yeah. guy and everything. And it was interesting seeing the show and it's in its last, uh, kind of his last year and everything. Yeah, because then he was but, actually becoming a big star by then, right? Yeah, he hadn't quite done that yet. So it was mm-hmm. fun to see the, that transition, mm-hmm. you know. And I actually quit the show because I couldn't take it anymore. And I remember going to him, I said, hey, man, I said, Will, I love you. I think you're about to blow up. I can't work with your boy, man. And he said, hey, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. And we kept, you know, in contact over the years. Uh, I Sometimes he'd be doing something and I'd um, help out with the table read or that type of thing, come by. What about Bernie Mac? What uh, what Bernie Mac memories do you have that uh, that you can share? Bernie Mac. Okay, so the what I uh, I remember I first met Bernie Mac 
on the set of Life, the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence movie. And um, I was uh, doing the PJs at the time. And Steve Tompkins, who's the other exec producer, we would have to go to wherever Eddie was sometimes to do his record. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he had a place up in Sacramento at the time. I think his wife was from there. He uh, sometimes we had to go to New Jersey at his house Mm -hmm. there, which is you know, he had a bowling alley in his house, the recording there. It was crazy. Yeah. And uh, but I remember sometimes we'd just have to go to his his trailer. He was doing, uh, you know, when he was doing a movie and we'd mm-hmm. have to catch him in between takes and get him to record in his in his dressing room, you know. Yeah. So we're running around town trying to record Eddie, you know. And uh, so we were waiting. They were filming and uh, we were just sitting outside and Bernie came out of his trailer and he sat down. I said, oh, man, there goes Bernie Mac, you know. So I went over and talked to him and he couldn't have been nice. He said, hey, man, how's it going? You know, all that kind of stuff. And I said, Bernie, I would love to um, I would love to uh, write something for you someday. He says, oh, yeah, man, that'd be great. You know, I'm performing at the uh, I forgot where it was. Uh, you should come by. You know, I would need some jokes. And I go, and I was like, no, 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 I'm not talking about jokes. I want to really write something. for. I think he thought I wanted to write for his yeah. act, but I was thinking, no, 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 I want to write a show for Bernie. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of years later, um, you know, King Kings, uh, Kings of Comedy came out and yep. I already had an idea of a show I wanted to do that just felt real, like we were kind of eavesdropping on the action. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a premise for it. I just had the feel of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Kings of Comedy, where Bernie was talking about it, taking care of his sister's kids, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, she was on drugs and all that stuff. And the way he was addressing the audience, Charlotte, come on, Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlotte, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Bernie Mag would never do that. You know, the way he addressed the audience, I thought it was yeah. really cool. And so I, I came up with the idea and I contacted Bernie and pitched it to him. And he was so great. He said, it's, you know, it sounds awesome. You know, we pitched it around him. Fox bought it in the room. It was so much fun. Wow. Working in that pilot with Bernie, I was so, you know, you're you're thinking you're working with a comedian who's going to be funny and all this, but mm-hmm. I did not expect him to be the great actor that he was. He was so, such a good actor yeah. doing the simplest of things. He could mm-hmm. do a look and yeah. convey so much with just that look, you know? Yeah. I mean, he had all the experience doing it on stage, I guess. He, he, he knew what, what worked. Well, he knew how to emote. And it's funny because not all comics are good emoters you know right. yeah like some are good uh reacting to something but mm-hmm. not all of them are good at emoting something you know and mm-hmm. conveying a feeling of something you know um but bernie was good at you know he was good at both of those you know so that was like a gold mine and and uh doing that first season is something it's the highlight of my career i'll something mm-hmm. i'll never forget yeah you know so I had uh, I had Mindy Kaling on the podcast uh, a bunch of months ago, and we talked about the Diversity Day episode of of sure. The Office, which was a classic yeah. and and a big moment uh, for you, I think. Um, so, what do you remember from from shooting that episode? Well, it's funny because I talked about you know I started as a stand up and got into write into writing, mm-hmm. produced and try to write for myself. And at the time of The Office, I was starting to make a transition back into performing, mm-hmm. and um, I was uh, developing an NBC at the time. They asked if I would consult on the show. I knew Greg from King of the Hill. Yeah, Greg and, Daniels. Uh, yeah, when I was doing uh, the PJs. So I had known Greg for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, oh, this is great, you know, working this thing. And my let me preface this with my first story about The Office. When I was doing the Bernie Mac show, I went to England once to do this seminar on sitcoms where people from mm-hmm. kind of different parts of the world, it was very cool, you know, were kind yeah. of showing their sitcoms, you know. It was a great, this great forum. And 
this was uh, Ash Atala, who was one of the producers of the English version of The Office, was mm-hmm. showing The Office. And I had never even heard of The Office at that yeah. point. You know, it hadn't come over here yet mm-hmm. and wasn't the big show that it eventually became. And uh, and he, he screened that. I screened the Bernie Mac pilot. And mm-hmm. we were all giving each other props, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And at that point, remember that show called Couplings that came over here? Yeah, I think so. And it was a big flop, I remember, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. it was actually, we had already done that. It was called Friends. You know, yeah, so. it was kind of a copy of a copy at that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was it was kind of watered down and people were mad because people liked the original couplings and how could America mm-hmm. mess this up? And mm-hmm. it was that kind of feeling. And I remember Ash came to me and said, we were, I said, man, Ash, the office is great. He says, oh, Larry, I love the Bernie Mac show. Just give me each other props. He goes, Larry, make me a promise. Please don't let them take the office over <laughs> to America and screw that up. And I go, Ash, let me tell you, if it goes over there, I'll make one promise. I'm never going to work on that thing. Sma- <laughs> smash, smash cut to me not only yeah. working on it, but appearing on it. Yeah. You know, like this is in your face, Ash, you know. And uh, it's so funny that that happened. But Diversity Day was interesting because um, um, I remember, our, uh, you know, the way that the writing went, we all came up with many different ideas. We put them on cards, put them on the walls, mm-hmm. and we never knew who was going to write what episode. You know, Greg yeah. would just hand them out. I think BJ wrote that episode. but um, um, And we all chip in during the rewrite and all that kind of stuff. So it was really mm-hmm. a group effort in the in the best sense of the word, you know, where yeah. the writer got to write a script, and but we all got to pitch in that type of stuff. Um, and it was one of the first five episodes out of the block. Now, everybody, this mm-hmm. is the couplings connection. Everybody thought it was going to be horrible because yeah. of couplings. And so I would tell people I'm working, and it hadn't come on TV yet. So I'm telling mm-hmm. people I'm working on this show called The Office. They go, oh, The Office. Oh, you really? And everybody had that reaction. Oh, you're working on The Office? Like they felt sorry for me. I'm like, guys, it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and pe- people had seen the pilot. The pilot leaked out. And Greg did the... For the pilot, they just used the script from the original. Yeah, office. it was like shot for shot, almost the same. Exactly. Show, yeah. Exactly. And so that's why people had a bad taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. They thought we were just going to do shot for shot all the episodes. Yeah. But that wasn't our intention. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, and in fact, the very first year of the office, it was called the Office and American Workplace. That mm-hmm. was the, the mm-hmm. entire title. I still have a jacket that says that yeah. on a mug. <laughs> very cool. A lot of people forget that. Then it just became the office. Yeah. But keep in mind, this was the attitude that people had mm-hmm. as we were making it, that it was horrible. We were messing this up. We were hacks. I mean, can you imagine that yeah. was the, how people <laughs> now viewed it's the like, office? Now it's like the most beloved classic show. Yeah, Exactly. And uh, Diversity Day, I, I read the part at the table and got some big laughs and everything, you know. And uh, Greg asked, if, you know, said, Larry, I think you should play that part. And I'm like, I said... I appreciate it, Greg, but we should really give it to an actor, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm a producer on the show, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to take parts from actors and stuff, you know. But yeah. one of the things Greg was cultivating in that show was having the writers perform on it, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and he was very serious about that. You know, Mindy and BJ. Yeah, at that exactly. Point, I don't I don't know if Paul had started performing on it yet. Paul Lieberstein. Yeah. I remember. Um, and Paul had worked for me at Bernie Mac show, by the mm. way, you know. But um, so I, I ultimately... Uh, relented because Ken Quapis was directing. He directed Bernie Mac pilot. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of cross pollination. Yeah. There. And working with Ken is just So you great. felt comfortable. I, completely. And had so much fun. And I'll never forget. And Steve Carell was so hilarious in that. Oh my God. And oh man, just the outtakes alone, man. Mm-hmm. You know, just so funny. You know. Yeah. 
so very fond memories of that. It was one of the funnest things. It's funny because Eric did this little part on The Office, and it's one it's one of the most memorable things I've ever done yeah. in my career. Yeah, you know this little cameo. You know, yeah, it's, so it's not how it always works out, right? It's like the thing that you're, you're not thinking a lot about becomes the the big thing. Go figure. You know. Yeah. Um, and and at that time, like I said, we didn't know it was gonna. We didn't even know if we'd come back for the second mm-hmm. season. We thought we'd mm-hmm. just do those five or six, and that was it. Yeah. You know. Okay, thanks for filling these out, and I promise this will be quick. At Diversity Today, our philosophy is about honesty and positive expectations. We believe that 99% of the problems in the workplace arise simply out of ignorance. You know what? This is a color-free zone here. Stanley, I don't look at you as another race. Uh, see, that, this is what I'm talking about. We don't have to pretend that we're colorblind. Exactly. That's fighting ignorance with more, with more ignorance. Atomics. No, with more ignorance. ignorance. Right, exactly. Uh, instead, we need to celebrate our diversity. Let's okay? celebrate. Right. Okay. Celebrate good times. Come on! Let's well, celebrate diversity, right? Yes, exactly. Now, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I've noticed that... Uh, uh, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Why don't we go around and everybody, everybody, say a race that you are attracted to sexually. I will go last. Go! I have two. Nice. White and Indian. Actually, I'd prefer not to start that way. The, uh, we, we haven't talked at all about The Daily Show. Uh, so what I wanted to know about that is, what do you remember about the first your first uh, contributor appearance on The Daily Show? Daily With Show John. was also in the transition of my career. I was trying to get back mm-hmm. to performing. I just signed some management people, and I, was, I said, okay, here's two things that I want to do. I want to try to maybe develop a sitcom for myself, and then the other side is maybe develop a talk show. Now, there are two different sides. Mm-hmm. The sitcom I felt comfortable about because I had already been writing and producing sitcoms. You know, I knew how to do that. I really didn't need them for that. But I hadn't really performed in a while. So the talk show part of it, which is more personality based, you know, I thought, well, I need to get back into a relationship with an audience. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't have that relationship at that point. And so um, they said, what about The Daily Show? That might be an interesting way to do that, you know kind of mm-hmm. make that connection again. I thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. And so I met with John um, about it. And uh, they were kind of making a transition at that time. Colbert had just, the year earlier, had just started his show. Mm-hmm. A lot of the correspondents were leaving. Ed Helms actually had just gone from The Daily Show over to The Office. Right. So I went from The Office over to The Daily Show. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I call it a prisoner exchange program yeah. was happening. <laughs> you know, uh, he had mm-hmm. just left. Uh, Rob Cordry had just left. And they mm-hmm. just hired Oliver like maybe a week before me. Um, Rob Riggle was just hired. Um, and I think Asif Mambi may have been hired like either right before me or right after something mm-hmm. like that. So I remember talking to John about it and he thought it was a good idea, you know, that we would try it out. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so we we're trying to figure out, well, what should be my point of view? And someone said, well, maybe you should be a black Republican. That might be funny. I go, mm, no, it's kind of just the opposite joke. I said, I'm actually more of a contrary person. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, um, God, who's, who was it? I'm going to get in trouble for this. But then uh, somebody suggested uh, that maybe I could be just the senior black correspondent, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very funny. <laughs> and uh, it just be contrary, you know, about things because yeah. John John can never quite see it from the black point of view, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and that became that was funnier, you know, to do something like yeah. that. And so the first of what we were going to do is we were going to write two pieces and just do them, record them both, and just see how it went, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very nervous 
and I remember the rehearsal for it did not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just nervous and it was a bit overwritten because here's the thing that in your yeah. head, when you're writing this, when you haven't done it yet, you're thinking of the best people that did it. Colbert, you mm-hmm. know, Carell at the time, some of those people, Cordry was so funny. And so you, you got to get that rhythm out of your head and try to put your own rhythm in there. And it's not easy mm-hmm. to do. And so it's a little stilted your first pass at it when you're writing it, writing with the, yeah. even though you're writing with them and everything. And so I remember, um, the rehearsal just went terrible. I don't think I got any laugh. And I remember I could feel like the people around me, like, you know, I don't even know if we should look at this guy. It's like, you don't want to, you don't want to name your, the animals on your farm. Cause you might have to eat them at some point. You know, you don't <laughs> yeah. want to get too close to them. It's like, right. we don't want to get too close to this guy. He may, he may be sacrificed. At some yeah. point. That's what it felt like. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? You know? And I, and, I, and then uh, before, so that's what happened at rehearsal. I was feeling really bad. It just felt like it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And then they came to me and said, John, uh, he wants to get rid of that other piece. He just wants to focus on one. And I go, oh, mm-hmm. great. I'm going to do this one. And that's going to be it. That's, so now yeah. I'm really like, oh, yeah. I'm really just focused, <laughs> just really feeling down about it. So before the daily show, before uh, between rehearsal and before mm-hmm. the show, there's a rewrite that happens. And you rewrite, you do a, a small rewrite, but then you go into the small room with John and he projects it, the script on the wall and mm-hmm. you kind of go through it and John does his rewrite with mm-hmm. you, you know, or you watch him do it. You know, he's brilliant at that, by the way. And so John said, hey, man, so let's go ahead and just let's just kind of put this more in, in your own words or whatever. And so we went through it and I I just put it more in my own words. We got rid mm-hmm. of some of the more writery part of it and I just mm-hmm. reacted to it. And so now it's me and John riffing. You know, we're putting that in. Yeah. It felt much better, you know, and I was able to use more of my instincts for it. And so I felt a little better. But I'm going out there and I realized that I think the feeling was that, well, this guy will be OK. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we won't see him much. We'll, and, we'll try it once. Yes, we'll try it once. See how it goes. But here's the thing, Matt. I, so the first thing I got, the first laugh on Senior Black Correspondent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, once I got a laugh, keep in mind, I'm a comedian. So yeah. now I'm like, okay, oh. motherfuckers, you're laughing. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm gonna really <laughs> so now I just really attack it. Oh, um, mm-hmm. let me say this too. Before I did it, I was, you know, of course, nervous. And John looked looked to me during the commercial. You know, you get out there and you said, mm-hmm. and he said, hey, man, just look in the camera and just fucking give it to America. Yeah. That was his advice. To me. And, it, and it, I was so I happy that. that he said that. He said, just yeah. fucking give it to America. I mean, how how nice is that, man? You That's know? amazing. Like he, I don't know if he could tell I was nervous or whatever, but. It's mm-hmm. exactly what I wanted to hear, you know, mm-hmm. and it really relaxed me, you know, and I did. That's exactly how I felt. And it crushed. I mean, it yeah. killed. Yeah. And I could see like you could sense shock from the crew. Like, th- when did they bring this funny guy in? You know, <laughs> like, how did he how did he become funny all of a sudden? You yeah. Know? And I'll never forget that. You know, it was that it was the, the fact that I got to rewrite it, put it in my own words with John mm-hmm. and just riffing off each other. We found that that connection and that spark, you know. Yeah, and, and you were uh, able to keep it going for quite a while. I did it for almost ten years, senior black yeah. correspondent, for about Amazing. nine years, and I have fun every time. I would fly out to do it because I still mm-hmm. lived in in L.A. And it was one of the most most uh, fun things I ever did in my career as being senior black mm-hmm. correspondent. And another highlight, I'm sure, of of your career uh, was the the last uh, White House correspondence dinner of the Obama huh. administration. Yeah. Um, which uh, you it's kind of the the last real correspondence dinner that's happened because the president was actually there, which hasn't happened since. Uh, wow, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, Do you think? Are I you mean, saying that I broke it? 
Yeah, well, I, so it's, it's debatable. Either you broke it or Michelle Wolf broke it. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> but I God, think uh, I think you you just um, you had the crowning achievement of it. And now it it can never uh, exist <laughs> yes. again. Although Michelle Wolf was amazing. Yeah, she I mean, was. I, some of her lines just my jaw mm-hmm. was on the floor. Yeah. You know, she was um, unbelievable. What do you when you think about that night? Now it's you know been what four four years or so what what do you yeah what do you think about when you when you it, remember that night two two things are my takeaway um number one was i got to have sit and basically have dinner with michelle obama first mm-hmm. lady which was amazing and it's probably my fondest memory of it all um got to talk to her kind of in a casual way we talked mm-hmm. about life you know our families that kind of stuff you know Detroit talked a little bit about politics, you know. She's so not people that are trying to draft Michelle Obama. She is so not interested in yeah. politics. It's so interesting. Not going to happen. No, not her. Uh, she told me she was a people person, which was kind of interesting too, you know. Because I said it must be hard for you guys to do all those photographs, you know, and smiling all the time. Mm-hmm. And all she goes, "No, it's the opposite. I love people, you know." Yeah. Uh, wow. And she was saying that I was like, "Wow, okay, you know, like there wasn't any trace of cynicism at all, mm-hmm. you know." couldn't have been nicer such a lovely woman um and it's funny obama is a little more guarded you know mm-hmm. so um you don't quite have that experience with with the president he has you could tell he has kind of that guard up especially i'm a mm-hmm. writer so yeah. that kind of stuff i notice right away right mm-hmm. but you know when i did the you know uh <laughs> you did it my nigga you did it you mm-hmm. know that line at the mm-hmm. end he could not have been nicer matt Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole experience was surreal. I'm doing these jokes and it's not going well in the audience. Some of the, some of the tone didn't come out quite the way that I intended. It mm-hmm. ended up being, it's one of those things when you're not really connected to the audience and then some jokes just really fall flat and the tone, like the, I had this thing about Wolf Blitzer was, which was really a tone joke, mm-hmm. but it, when it's not a tone joke, it just sounds mean. Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's how it came across. And it was more like, how is Wolf Blitzer still on television? It was like, that was the, and it was supposed, see how you yeah. laugh? Like, that's the tone of it. Yeah. Not to but be people, taken seriously. But people in the audience were like, ooh. But since they were already ooing, it was like, yeah. so the tone was more like, how is Wolf Blitzer still on television? It became more of an indictment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck. I should have just yeah. cut that thing. Yeah. And it seemed like I was really being mean to Wolf Blitzer. And I really wasn't. I was trying to be sarcastic, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man. So I'm digging this hole the whole time. Some of the stuff got laughs, but it, they really did not embrace me. Little yeah. did I know the audience at home was like, five stars, five stars. Yeah. Go, Larry, go. That's how, that's how it always <laughs> is with those things. The yeah, audience exactly. at home is liking but, it more than than the people but, in the room. But you don't feel that. You, know, right. you just feel this, yeah. these people turning against you. <laughs> you know, some jokes were good enough to still get laughs, you know, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it was a complete rejection. And so when Obama kind of embraced me for the last part, you know, that because I knew... By the time I got to that, I, I was still thinking in my mind, should I do this line or not? You know, because mm-hmm. I was contemplating whether I should do it or not. Yeah. And uh, Rob, Robin Thede, who helped me put it together, um, she was like, you absolutely have to do that. Because yeah. it was one of the first things I thought of when I was mm-hmm. going to do it. You know, and once I said it, the people who were helping me do it say, you have to do that. Larry. So yeah. They kind of yeah. like talked me into it, you know, yeah. even though I'm the one that thought of it. So, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. But even up to the last minute. I was gonna. I thought of changing it. You to you did it, my brother, rather than that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that would have been but good because, too. <laughs> it would have been fine. Yeah, but it completely would have been different. You know, but yeah. I knew the significance of saying that also. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. because 
I was kind of like not doing well. I just said, fuck this, man. I'm yeah. just going to do this yeah. line. Yeah. I don't care about you. I don't care about <laughs> you people. You know, so I almost did it defiantly in mm -hmm. that sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Kid, I lived in a country where people couldn't accept a black quarterback. Now think about that. A black man was thought by his mere color not good enough to lead a football team. And now to live in your time, Mr. President, when a black man can lead the entire free world. Um, uh, words alone do me no justice. Um, so, Mr. President, if I'm going to keep it 100, yo, Barry, you did it, my nigga. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. But afterwards, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen, you know. Um, but luckily, uh, when o Obama spoke at Howard University, like a few days later, or a week later, mm -hmm. and he actually quoted me, he said, and as Larry Wilmore said, I'm like, oh shit, is Obama going to quote me doing the <laughs> n-word joke? But he he quoted the first part of it. He said. You know, when we were kids, a black man couldn't even be a quarterback because mm -hmm. that was the meaning of that. You yeah. Know, look how far yep. we've come. And now you're the leader mm -hmm. of the free world. You know, so there's a lot of sentiment in that. So I was like, oh, man, he got that. And he was nothing but gracious in the mm -hmm. way that they handled the questions about it, because they're because it divided black people, too. There was mm -hmm. the old school black mm -hmm. people like you should never say that, let alone to the first black president. Yeah. And my my reply to that is, excuse me. He's not the first black president. He's the only black president. Until mm -hmm. we get a second one, we can call him first. Yeah. Don't give America more credit than it deserves. He's not the first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? He's the only black president. Yeah. Here. But uh, but the younger guard was like, oh, my God, that is the blackest thing I've yeah. ever seen in my life. I can't believe they did that. So it was divided in the black community as to mm -hmm. the approach to it. You know, So some of the older guard like reporters were even asking Obama and we're not asking him, but his press people, you know, mm -hmm. what did you think of that? You know, mm -hmm. and trying to get them to say nasty things about him, but they never yeah. did, which is kind of yeah. nice. That's nice. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on is you mentioned, you know, you love watching Bill Maher and you've been on before. And there's a moment that, well, when you were on Bill Maher that, uh, that sticks out to me and I don't think I've ever asked you about, which was when it was during the overtime uh, section with uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Sure. Um, and you kind of called him out in a way that that Bill Maher didn't really seem like he was going to. So to me, it felt like you kind of stepped in and and did what 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 Bill Maher wasn't going to do. Uh, can you just talk about what that what that felt like and and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, I remember at the time. Um, I guess I I experienced it a little differently than the way people took it. Like I was for me, I wasn't there trying to do something that Bill wasn't doing. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't my yeah. point of view. I was reacting more directly because he was insulting me and Malcolm Nance, who, mm -hmm. you know, is this brilliant guy who, you know, and calling us stupid, basically. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, who, I'm a grown ass man. Who the fuck yeah. do you think you're speaking to like that was from the point of view I was taking? Mm -hmm. And it really uh, hit its nadir when he, to me, he just, I felt that he was trashing, um, just the importance of the gay movement in America and what it's mm -hmm. gone through and the, the shoulders that uh, that he is sitting on to be able to speak freely about 
you know, mm-hmm. some of the stuff he was talking about and using it to trash transgender people was just ridiculous, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I, I just really took offense to that, just in, just directly took offense to that. And secondarily, he was uh, insulting Leslie Jones, calling her stupid and calling us stupid. So I just had enough, you know, yeah. just had to just had to go in. So that's where I was coming from, mm-hmm. you know, but um, just the whole myopia in terms of, of that, I thought was mm-hmm. ridiculous. You know? Yeah, well, it was it was a real moment uh, for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care who you are. Who do you think you're talking to? You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. I'm not going to come back at that. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Yeah. Why, what do you what do you think this is exactly? Yeah. So like to me it wasn't that big a deal. It's like of course I'm going to come back at you. What is mm-hmm. what is wrong with you? You know. Mm-hmm. So I think he was kind of surprised by that too. You know. See, do you always have to fight with everybody? I can't don't. You just, can't we you were just having such a nice for, time, but you always invite such awful people on your show. These are not, They're so stupid. Look at. No, come on. You need, to, you need to start uh, inviting higher <laughs> IQ guests or this I'm is going to be a disaster. These, first, of all, first of all, wait. These, these are very high. Wait, hold on, Bill. You can go fuck yourself, all right? Yeah. If this is the face if of your the argument is that these people are stupid, you didn't hear a word this man said no. early in this segment because yes. he can talk circles around your right. pathetic, this douchey little ass for me. Oh, yeah. um, so we end every episode by asking uh, guests, who is a, a comedian who has in, in your life made you laugh the hardest? It could be somebody that you saw on stage or someone who you you know worked with just hanging out uh, backstage. Um, who's someone, when you think about the, the person that, that really makes you laugh the hardest, who comes to mind? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, well, just in terms of comedians in general, mm-hmm. nobody made me laugh harder than Richard Pryor. You know, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to come at it at the time when he was in his prime and all that stuff. And no, I could not breathe listening to some mm-hmm. of the Richard Pryor stuff, you know. Um, you know, and then... I have a lot of comedian friends and that type of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of different people, I guess, who who have made me laugh uh, personally and that type of stuff, personal friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of who. I don't know if there's an act. Is there an act that I saw that just really just made me laugh? That's a good question, man. Because, uh, you know, once again, I came up at a time when there were so many great stand-ups and a lot that people never saw, too. Yeah. Who were just really funny. I tell you, who was so funny on stage was George Wallace. He's still doing stand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, George Wallace was so funny and just really a joke teller. Mm-hmm. You know that old school stand up, just joke, yeah. joke, bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. hey, but his his delivery was just so funny. You know, yeah. Um, you know, when I go back and think about some of the people I enjoyed in the clubs, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of those people that just really was so consistent and so funny. Um, irresistible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. This was uh, yeah, this was a pleasure. ton of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to to your your podcast from from home. See see how yes, it goes from the dungeon. <laughs> we'll see what happens. And uh, uh, I appreciate you having me on, man. And congrats on your pod, man. It looks like it's going well. You've been doing it thank for you. how long now? Like a, year uh, now? a little over a year. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, it's yeah. a ton of fun. I've yeah, gotten to talk congrats. to lots of great people, and I'm, I'm glad I finally got you on. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot, yeah. man. All right, man. Uh, okay. Good luck. 
Thanks. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Okay, bet. Thank you again to Larry Wilmore for being such a fantastic guest on today's show. You can find his podcast, Black on the Air, wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely check it out if you're not already a subscriber. If you like this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Red Rock Music. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.